This is Chapter 76 of Roughing It. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Roughing It by Mark Twain. Chapter 76 we rode horseback all around the island of Hawaii, the crooked road making the distance two hundred miles, and enjoyed the journey very much. We were more than a week making the trip, because our Kanaka horses would not go by a house or a hut without stopping. Whip and spur could not alter their minds about it, and so we finally found that it economized time to let them have their way. Upon inquiry the mystery was explained. The natives are such thorough-going gossips that they never pass a house without stopping to swap news, and consequently their horses learn to regard that sort of thing as an essential part of the whole duty of man and his salvation not to be compassed without it. However, at a former crisis of my life I had once taken an aristocratic young lady out driving behind a horse that had just retired from a long and honorable career as the moving impulse of a milk-wagon, and so this present experience awoke a reminiscent sadness in me, in place of the exasperation more natural to the occasion. I remembered how helpless I was that day, and how humiliated, how ashamed I was of having intimated to the girl that I had always owned the horse, and was accustomed to grandeur how hard i tried to appear easy and even vivacious under suffering that was consuming my vitals how placidly and maliciously the girls smiled and kept on smiling while my hot blushes baked themselves into a permanent blood-pudding in my face how the horse ambled from one side of the street to the other and waited complacently before every third house two minutes and a quarter while i belabored his back and reviled him in my heart how I tried to keep him from turning corners, and failed, how I moved heaven and earth to get him out of town, and did not succeed, how he traversed the entire settlement and delivered imaginary milk at a hundred and sixty-two different domiciles, and how he finally brought up at a dairy depot, and refused to budge further, thus rounding and completing the revealment of what the plebeian service of his life had been, how in eloquent silence I walked the girl home, and how, when I took leave of her, her parting remarks scorched my soul, and appeared to blister me all over. She said that my horse was a fine, capable animal, and I must have taken great comfort in him in my time, but that if I would take along some milk-tickets next time, and appear to deliver them at the various halting-places, it might expedite his movements a little. There was a coolness between us after that. In one place in the island of Hawaii we saw a laced and ruffled cataract of limpid water leaping from a sheer precipice fifteen hundred feet high, but that sort of scenery finds its staunchest ally in the arithmetic rather than in spectacular effect. If one desires to be so stirred by a poem of nature wrought in the happily commingled graces of picturesque rocks, glimpsed distances, foliage, color, shifting lights and shadows, and falling water, that the tears almost come into his eyes so potent is the charm exerted, he need not go away from America to enjoy such an experience. The Rainbow Fall, in Watkins Glen, New York, on the Erie Railway, is an example. It would recede into pitiable insignificance if the callous tourist drew on arithmetic on it. But left to compete for the honors simply on scenic grace and beauty, 
the grand the august and the sublime being barred the contest it could challenge the old world and the new to produce its peer in one locality on our journey we saw some horses that had been born and reared on top of the mountains above the range of running water and consequently they had never drank that fluid in their lives but had been always accustomed to quenching their thirst by eating dew-laden or shower-wetted leaves and now it was destructively funny to see them sniff suspiciously at a pail of water and then put in their noses and try to take a bite out of the fluid as if it were a solid finding it liquid they would snatch away their heads and fall to trembling snorting and showing other evidences of fright when they became convinced at last that the water was friendly and harmless they thrust their noses up to their eyes brought out a mouthful of water and proceeded to chew it complacently we saw a man coax kick and spur one of them five or ten minutes before he could make it cross a running stream it spread its nostrils distended its eyes and trembled all over just as horses customarily do in the presence of a serpent and for aught i know it thought the crawling stream was a serpent in due course of time our journey came to an end at kawehai usually pronounced tuahai and before we find fault with this elaborate orthographical method of arriving at such an unostentatious result let us lop off the ug from our word though i made this horseback trip on a mule i paid ten dollars for him at kau kau added four to get him shod rode him two hundred miles and then sold him for fifteen dollars i marked the circumstance with a white stone in the absence of chalk for i never saw a white stone that a body could mark anything with though out of respect for the ancients i have tried it often enough for up to that day and date it was the first strictly commercial transaction i had ever entered into and come out winner we returned to honolulu and from thence sailed to the island of maui and spent several weeks there very pleasantly i still remember with a sense of indolent luxury a picnicking excursion up a romantic gorge there called the iao valley the trail lay along the edge of a brawling stream in the bottom of the gorge a shady route for it was well roofed with the verdant domes of forest trees through openings in the foliage we glimpsed picturesque scenery that revealed ceaseless changes and new charms with every step of our progress perpendicular walls from one to three thousand feet high guarded the way and were sumptuously plumed with varied foliage in places and in places swathed in waving ferns passing shreds of cloud trailed their shadows across these shining fronts mottling them with blots billowy masses of white vapor hid the turreted summits and far above the vapor swelled a background of gleaming green crags and cones that came and went through the veiling mists like islands drifting in a fog sometimes the cloudy curtain descended till half the cannon wall was hidden then shredded gradually away till only airy glimpses of the ferny front appeared through it then swept aloft and left it glorified in the sun again now and then as our position changed rocky bastions swung out from the wall a mimic ruin of castellated ramparts and crumbling towers clothed with mosses and hung with garlands of swaying vines and as we moved on they swung back again and hid themselves once more in the foliage presently a verdure-clad needle of stone a thousand feet high 
stepped out from behind a corner and mounted guard over the mysteries of the valley. It seemed to me that if Captain Cook needed a monument, here was one ready-made. Therefore, why not put up his sign here, and sell out the venerable coconut stump? But the chief pride of Maui is her dead volcano of Haleakala, which means, translated, the house of the sun. We climbed a thousand feet up the side of this isolated colossus one afternoon, then camped, and next day climbed the remaining nine thousand feet, and anchored on the summit, where we built a fire and froze and roasted by turns all night. With the first pallor of dawn we got up and saw things that were new to us. Mounted on a commanding pinnacle we watched nature work her silent wonders. The sea was spread abroad on every hand, its tumbled surface seeming only wrinkled and dimpled in the distance. A broad valley below appeared like an ample checkerboard, its velvety green sugar plantations alternating with dun squares of barrenness, and groves of trees diminished to mossy tufts. Beyond the valley were mountains picturesquely grouped together, but bear in mind we fancied that we were looking up at these things, not down. We seemed to sit in the bottom of a symmetrical bowl ten thousand feet deep, with the valley and the skirting sea lifted away into the sky above us. It was curious, and not only curious, but aggravating, for it was having our trouble all for nothing, to climb ten thousand feet toward heaven, and then have to look up at our scenery. However, we had to be content with it, and make the best of it. For all we could do, we could not coax our landscape down out of the clouds. Formerly, when I had read an article in which Poe treated of this singular fraud perpetrated upon the eye by isolated great altitudes, I had looked upon the matter as an invention of his own fancy. I have spoken of the outside view, but we had an inside one, too. That was the yawning dead crater, into which we now and then tumbled rocks, half as large as a barrel, from our perch and saw them go careening down the almost perpendicular sides, bounding three hundred feet at a jump, kicking up cast clouds wherever they struck, diminishing to our view as they sped farther into distance, growing invisible, finally, and only betraying their course by faint little puffs of dust, and coming to a halt at last in the bottom of the abyss, two thousand five hundred feet down from where they started. It was magnificent sport. We wore ourselves out at it. The crater of Vesuvius, as I have before remarked, is a modest pit about a thousand feet deep and three thousand in circumference. That of Kilauea is somewhat deeper and ten miles in circumference. But what are either of them compared to the vacant stomach of Haleakala? I will not offer any figures of my own, but give official ones, those of Commander Wilkes, U.S. Navy, who surveyed it and testifies that it is twenty-seven miles in circumference. If it had a level bottom, it would make a fine sight for a city like London. It must have afforded a spectacle worth contemplating in the old days, when its furnaces gave full rein to their anger. Presently vagrant white clouds came drifting along, high over the sea and the valley. Then they came in couples and groups then in imposing squadrons. Gradually joining their forces, they banked themselves solidly together, a thousand feet under us, and totally shut out land and ocean. Not a vestige of anything was left in view, but just a little of the rim of the crater, circling away from the pinnacle whereon we sat. 
for a ghostly procession of wanderers from the filmy hosts without had drifted through a chasm in the crater wall and filed round and round and gathered and sunk and blended together till the abyss was stored to the brim with a fleecy fog thus banked motion ceased and silence reigned clear to the horizon league on league the snowy floor stretched without a break not level but in rounded folds with shallow creases between and with here and there stately piles of vapory architecture lifting themselves aloft out of the common plain some near at hand some in the middle distances and others relieving the monotony of the remote solitudes there was little conversation for the impressive scene overawed speech i felt like the last man neglected of the judgment and left pinnacled in mid-heaven a forgotten relic of a vanished world while the hush yet brooded the messengers of the coming resurrection appeared in the east a growing warmth suffused the horizon and soon the sun emerged and looked out over the cloud waste flinging bars of ruddy light across it staining its folds and billow-caps with blushes purpling the shaded troughs between and glorifying the massy vapor palaces and cathedrals with a wasteful splendor of all blendings and combinations of rich coloring it was the sublimest spectacle i ever witnessed and i think the memory of it will remain with me always End of chapter seventy six